0: Jesus is precious. Peter, like (coughs) James, wrote to what's called the Diaspora, the dispersed Christians, which were first Jewish or Messianic believers that were scattered throughout the Mediterranean world, and also to those who were formerly Gentile pagans, And he wrote this to encourage his readers to endure what they were going through, which was a time of major testing throughout the world. And this was at the get-go when the gospel was first going out and the church was going out, and the kingdom of God was expanding north, south, east, and west. What does it mean to live for God in a world that is without God and without hope? The word precious is mentioned three times in this passage and twice in his second epistle. What is most precious to you and to me? For example, if you are threatened with the loss of everything that you possess or loved ones that you love, and you had to save only one thing, all you could save is one thing, what would that be? This is posing that question. And the answer, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything about the Lord Jesus Christ, which is precious, as we will see. And how is it so? First, because Jesus himself is precious, as we read in verse 7. He is precious. Now, the original word, timios, has the meaning of, of great price, or that which is honored, esteemed highly, and valued. In a song, he is described as the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. He is precious in himself, as the passage that we read, heard, and which I read indicates in verse 4, to whom coming, as unto a lively or living stone, and disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. It was disallowed of men because the those to whom he first came, the covenant people of God, rejected him outrightly as their Messiah, their very God, their very Yahweh, their very Jehovah. Imagine that. They were no different than their fathers before them, who who abandoned them at at various junctures of its history, such as in the wilderness, for lesser brightness. He is our living foundation is really what this is saying. He is our living foundation. And imagine a house without a foundation. How long that will stand, especially on sand. He's called, in fact, the chief cornerstone, as is said in Ephesians 2, which is another very significant passage that parallels this one. In Ephesians chapter 2. Beginning at verse 20. It says that he is the superstructure, as it were. Let me read 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the building that they frame together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also builded together for habitation of God through the Spirit." So this edifice that is called the church is built upon Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. And the cornerstone, as you might recall in in previous studies, is is part of the foundation that gives the contours of what is to be filled in, which would be the scriptures uh, vis-a-vis the apostles and prophets of God whose writings our commentary on the work of Christ, on his redemption. And so all of that is the foundation. And of course, Jesus being the foundation. And no other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is what we are. This is what we are, his church, because of whose. It is to whom we belong. It was a hymn. My hope is built on nothing less. That so you're familiar with that. And Jesus, blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. No other ground, but sinking sand. On other ground is sinking sand. Jesus is precious to believers. It says in verse seven, unto you, therefore, which believe, He is. Sadly, Jesus is not precious to everyone. All you have to do is look around, and there are unbelievers everywhere. And if you were to live amongst them for any length of time, you would start to feel sad. You will start to feel lonely. You'll start to feel how precious Jesus truly is. And that's perhaps why sometimes God separates people from the flock, so that they might find that out like the Prodigal son, you know a prodigal son. Were you once one? <coughs> it says in verse seven, unto but unto them which be disobedient. Those are, hopefully, they're not the ones spoken of here who are are appointed to this end, as it says at the end, whereunto they were appointed. And hopefully, you are disobedient, but like that wandering sheep of the Lord. It says that, they, that he becomes for a time a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. I hope that is only for a time. I hope that you may stumble but not fall. I hope that in your stumbling he picks you up. Unto him that is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Is Jesus precious to you because of the foundation that is beneath your feet, that the sureness of the path upon which you walk? Is Jesus' blood precious to you? It says in verse 18, verse Peter 1. We'll have to turn to this. We didn't read this, so let me read it now. First Peter 1. Verse 18 and 19. Forasmuch as as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. As silver and gold can not buy your way into the kingdom of God. Although many have attempted that and do attempt that. From your vain or empty conversation, lifestyle, you won't find it there. Received by tradition from your fathers, no matter how good those traditions are, no matter if they're the traditions I talked about before that are based upon Holy Scripture, if, if you're reading and praying and attending churches, is just that. Just mechanical. Just something that you automatically do. But your heart's not in it. Beware. Beware. Because many, Christ says, come to Him that way. They even say, Lord, Lord. But their hearts are far from Him. It says, we are redeemed How? Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The blood of the sinless Son of God, that's what it took. The blood of God, if you will. God made man. Unlike even the most unblemished and unspotted animal sacrifices, lambs that were offered under the Old Testament sacrificial system. And they sought the best, those who were wanting to do it right. But this one was perfect. His was perfect. His sacrifice was perfect. It was a human sacrifice. Think about that. A sinless sacrifice. Because He is the Son of God. It says in the Heidelberg Catechism, why must He, Jesus, be a true and sinless man. Because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should make satisfaction for those sins. But no man, being himself a sinner, could satisfy for others. And then it goes on to ask in, verse, in question 17, why must he be at the same time true God? I love this. This is beautiful that by the power of his Godhood he might bear in his manhood the burden of God's wrath and so obtain for and restore unto us righteousness and life. It took God himself to save us. No one short of God himself, no human being on the earth could rescue himself nor even make redemption for his brother. he can't save himself, he can't save anyone. But our Lord did. And you know, after he died, he came back to life. He rescued himself, as it were. And in his so doing, he rescued multitudes that no man can number, the Bible says. As the stars in the sky and as the sand by the seashore, innumerable. That's how it's <coughs> described in the prophecy to our father Abraham. But who now is that mediator who is at the same time true God and a true and righteous man. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who's freely given unto us for complete redemption and righteousness. You can't have a more perfect Savior than Him. He was designed for that. He was built for that. He was called to that. He excelled in that and there's no one else that can fill His shoes but Him. And for systems and churches to think that they can do that, oh my, what an insult to God. Are they worshiping God? When they do not have the true God and eternal life. No. For they have yet to flee from their idols. And I pray that you're not trusting in anyone. But in the Son of God. As Paul put it. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the whole world. There are many today who have the wrong idea of salvation as I said. I hope you don't. I hope you're not trusting in what you can do, what you have earned, what you've achieved, what your merits are. Because human merit ain't going to cut it. It takes the perfect merits of Christ. And Peter encourages the saints by reminding them of the fact that they're redeemed by nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Gracious Bonner said, and I'm really, uh, all these hymns are just flowing Playing back into my mind hymns of the last 50 years, some of them I haven't sang in a long time, such as this one, Horatius Bonner said, not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace within. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful Is Jesus' blood precious to you? And also, is Jesus' faith precious? It says in 2 Peter, we're going to the other letter, chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained what? Like precious. With us, to the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. There you have it. It's called like precious faith. And by the way, sometimes that faith is not so much subjective as it is objective, as in the case here where he's speaking about the faith. Such as the faith once delivered to the saints, as Jude says in his one chapter epistle, Jude 1.3, Beloved, but I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, meaning it's common to Jews and Gentiles alike, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. These were hard times back then. You think they were hard you think they're hard today, and they are, for people out there thus far, and a little bit for us here. But these this these were hard times worldwide, at home and abroad. <coughs> Peter calls it like precious faith, because the faith today, which we have his word, God's word, and thus we have that faith. Wants delivered to the saints today is the same as that of the apostles and all believers of his original audience of 2,000 plus years back. That's why. Our faith is precious because of the person in whom our faith places itself on or the object of our faith. It is not our faith per se that is significant as is the one in whom place. And the fact that it is a gift of God. And not a works that any man should boast. But let's get back to the fact that he is precious. And that is what makes our faith so likewise. And notice that in, in 2 Peter 1.1 1, 1, how Peter affirms the deity of Christ. He says that the righteousness is of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Now that could mean the righteousness of the Father and also the righteousness of the Son, but it could also mean this because the word anki could mean even. It could mean the righteousness of God, even our Savior Jesus Christ. So it could mean Jesus Christ alone as the focal point at this point, at this uh, juncture, and not the Father and the Son necessarily. Although it could be both. Scripture is sometimes like that. It's very fluid. Greek and Hebrew are very fluid like that. Where you? see the connotations intertwined. We are not only washed from our sins by Jesus' precious blood, but we are also clothed with His precious righteousness. Yea, the righteousness of God. As Paul would say in 2 Corinthians five twenty one. and I've even encouraged you, and I believe we've even attempted <clears> to <throat> memorize this, to memorize this, It says, for he that is God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. He was constituted as a sinner, as if he was the sinner to take our place on the cross. Who knew no sin, that we might be made, constituted, considered. The righteousness of God in him. We are the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. amazing 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 grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I found was blind but now I see amazing and it takes truth it takes the true gospel it takes what I call the reformed gospel of the reformed faith to communicate the truth in all of its comprehensiveness and all of its simplicity nothing less And that is why I appreciate what was discovered along with the Bible in the dark ages of the Renaissance. Man thinks he's so smart, right? The Renaissance, you know, Enlightenment period. they, They didn't know until the end of that Renaissance what Enlightenment really was and is. And that is the Word of God that lives and abides forever. And the Gospel of Jesus Christ which lives and abides forever. And this the gospel which we have preached unto us. Think of that. Do you stop and consider how your faith in Christ is a precious gift? Fourth, the trials of our faith make our faith even more so precious. As it says in verse 6 of 1 Peter 1, going back, we're jumping back now to 1 Peter 1 this time 6 And seven, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, your unhappiness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. There our word precious occurs once again. Peter uses the word trials. It's, a, it's a, a different word that is different from tribulations or persecutions things that we suffer in dealing with uh, the world but more the generic uh, trials of, of everyday Christian life or the whole kick kaboo if you will okay uh, that's what he's speaking to speaking of and speaking to there are four kinds of, of these trials that we need to be aware of uh, the first, Four things, I should say, or four facts. Trials meet our needs. That's the first. Notice, Peter. Peter says, "If need be." <laughs> if need be. In other words, we don't always need that trial. Sometimes, if we're good, we won't have a trial. How about that? <laughs> Sometimes, if we're obedient, God doesn't send, uh, you know, a scourge or, you know. Like the sheep, you know, they have the rod. You know what the rod is for, right? You know what the staff is for, right? If they get hung up somewhere in some bramble uh, bush or they're on a ledge. But do you know what the rod is for amongst other things? Getting their attention. <laughs> like he'll throw, he'll throw it at the sheep and he'll hit, hit one of the sheep on the head and like, duh, you know, and <laughs> stop biting the sheep or, you know, causing yeah. trouble. Uh, so God doesn't do that if you don't need it. But if you do, that's the trial. There's the trial. And He does it because He loves us. And so there are special times in which God knows we need to go through trials. If I can put it that way. Such as when we have disobeyed God's Word. Such as to hinder us from further sinning. Think about that. We're doing well, and all of a sudden we're, we're looking to the left hand and to the right again. We're going off on that... Rabbit trail. You know what a rabbit trail is? My professors often use that term because sometimes we get into discussions about very deep theological questions and then someone throws up something that's totally unrelated to that that's on his mind. Maybe because he's distracted and daydreaming. <laughs> or maybe because he really wants to get the professor's take on that. Whatever. But anyway, rabbit <laughs> trails. Instead of staying on the straight and narrow. That's where we need to be. And it's tough. I know sometimes it... It's a challenge, but nevertheless, that's where we need to be. So to hinder us from sinning. And then lastly, to prepare us for growth. God is about to do something in our lives to make us grow. Ever thought of that? And that is why we are given trials. He may be opening a new door for our lives, even in our old age. (laughs) I'll speak for myself. And then secondly, trials are varied or variegated. You've heard that term, right? That means they're multifaceted, multicolored. It's like sometimes more than one or maybe different trials that are really one and the same. Like when Jonah you know, was escaping from the Lord and he, he went down, what did he do? He went down um, to wherever that, that, that city was, whether it was in Spain or somewhere, he went down the coast, okay, or he went down away from from the promised land, which you never do. You don't leave the promised land, you see. You don't leave the promised land. He did, because he didn't want to hear this message. He didn't want to preach to those Ninevites, those evil, sinister, ungodly. They deserve to go to hell, every one of them, was his attitude. And he didn't want to be the one to preach to them. So he went down to wherever that was, and he found that ship. Then he went what? Down into the hull of the ship, before you know what he went overboard and down into the, into the drink and then he went down into what the belly of the whale or the, of the large fish it says large fish probably a whale who knows right who knows but he went down until he confessed that salvation is of the Lord and he had no business determining who would be saved and who wouldn't be and that's our problem We're selective when God isn't. So when he admitted that, when he owned up to his calling, as it were, he went up, up, up. It wasn't a a clean move, but, you know, he was spit out of the mouth of the great fish onto the shore. And it was up to him from then what he was to do. And so that's how God works. Very variegated, very let me tell you sometimes. No matter what the color of our day, whether it's Mahdi Monday, you know what the word Mahdi comes from? It doesn't mean like gray or somber or it means like our Lord when he faced the cross. That was that was the Thursday, as it were, of of his uh, week as he was about to enter Calvary and Gethsemane. And that's sometimes like our Monday, body Monday, or trying Tuesday, or wasted Wednesday, or turbulent Thursday. (coughs) God's grace is sufficient to meet our need no matter what day of the week it may be. Trials are varied. and God matches those needs that come through as a result of our trials by His grace. Many are the affliction of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. Finally. Also, trials are not easy. Peter uses the word heaviness. Heaviness, which means literally to experience grief or pain. You know, there's some, some trials that you don't cry. There's some trials that you don't experience pain. Such as, you know, like my cold right now. I'm not, I'm not suffering, although I sound like I'm miserable, but I'm rejoicing. Uh, <laughs> but there are some pains like what some of you have experienced that are life-threatening. That, um, and, and the pain of childbirth, that's probably the worst pain of them all. They, they measure it in terms of degree. And that one, if, if one is the least and ten is the greatest, that's ten. And we'll never know that man, right, brothers? Make no mistake about it. Trials are difficult to go through, regardless. But He will only give us what we can handle. There is no temptation taken you, but such is this common man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or permit you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with that temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. He will only give you what you can handle. he will give you strength if he's going to keep that trial in your life for a while so that you will bear up underneath it. and also trials are controlled by God someone said this when God allows his children to go through a furnace like the the three uh, uh, Hebrew men he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat (laughs) thank God when God purifies your faith through fiery trials, it may not actually involve fire, as it were, but it may feel like it, right? Like when you stand to lose something, someone precious in your life. And you know no one but you can go through that. Unless you've been through that yourself, you can't know what someone else is, who's going through that is going through. In Jesus' case, it was a fiery trial unto death. And there he was, yes, feeling for what others go through. Now he was going through it, and that for others, and that for his people. The words of Job could have easily been said by our Lord when Job says, in Job 13, 15, what? Job. This is an amazing book, this book of Job. Talk about a book of sufferings. This is it. So Job 13, 15. In the midst of his trials, he's not even halfway through them. He says this, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain my own ways before him, meaning I will continue to follow him all the days of my life. Though he slay me, our Lord could easily have said these words, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Because that's what he did. That's what he did all the way all the way through Calvary, all the way through the death of the cross. On Calvary, we lost someone very precious to us and to our souls. When you go through righteous trials, that is, trials that are outside of the generic, you know, run-of-the-mill trials of suffering in this life, because we're standing up for Jesus as soldiers of the cross, giving out the gospel, and we suffer for that. Righteous trials, if we can call them that. prepared prepared by those others that we went through as as soldiers of the Lord in our day-to-day life and we show that we've been with Jesus like was said of Peter and John who are using the healing of a man at the gate beautiful after preaching the gospel and then he preaches again Peter does and the people take note that these unlearned and ignorant men are representing our Lord. And then the one who's healed has the audacity to stand up and be kind with Jesus as well. He could have gotten, you know, all of them. Yet they were brave, they were bold. Oh, that we would be that way. As Paul would put it, bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in us. Be sure that we have been with Jesus. We are conformed to the image of His dear Son. We become more and more like Him. And that's the ultimate purpose of, of trials, aren't they? Finally, to bring praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And by the way, complaining and murmuring, do not give praise and glory uh, to the Lord. others see us doing these things that we are called to do, what difference is there be- When He sees us doing that... Murmuring and disputing, as is said by Paul elsewhere. What difference is there between us and the world around us, right? Uh, thank God that he made the difference. And so, are trials precious to you? And finally, is Jesus' promises precious <coughs> to you? Second Peter 1, verse 4, we go back to that the last time. Second Peter, the second epistle chapter 2 verse Sorry, chapter 1 verse 4 whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust exceeding great and precious promises where are they found? Right here. Someone said, All the promises in the book are mine. Every jot, every tittle, and every line. All the promises of, of God, of Christ, are yea unto us and amen unto the glory of God by us. When a sinner believes on Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to impart a new life and a new nature which is of God within. The lost sinner is dead. He is hidden with God in Christ. But the Christian is alive because of Christ. As it says, that you might be partakers of the divine nature. Just as a baby shares the nature of its parents, so a person born into the family of God shares the divine nature of his heavenly father. (coughs) Excuse me. if we are part of the family of God we have that appetite spoken of earlier of a newborn babe desiring the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby and you know how a baby goes to milk like there's no end (laughs) and so we begin to to to, to be that child of God we begin to grow and to be those things that he has called us to things that we we uh, should do and things that the Lord will make sure that we do because his promises, and that includes his trials, are precious. They're precious, and we cannot calculate their worth until the story is, is over and, and is being rehearsed in glory. And so are Jesus' promises precious to you? Let me close with an app, uh, a story. A poor old widow, living in the Scottish Highlands, was called upon one day by a gentleman who had heard that she was in need. Is like the work of a deacon, right? We're all who do these things like deacons, okay, or deaconesses. The old woman complained of her condition and remarked that her son was in Australia and doing well. But does he do nothing to help you? Inquired the visitor. No, nothing, was the reply. He writes me regularly once a month, no, nothing, but only sends me a little picture with his letter. And then the gentleman asked to see one of the pictures that she had received and found that each one of them is a draft for 10 pounds. <laughs> you know that's a lot of money, right? Especially back then. This is the condition of many of God's children like you and I. He has given you and I many exceeding great and precious promises. Sadly, we are either ignorant of or for whatever reason, have failed to appropriate. Okay? I'll I'll just leave it at that. Many of them seem to be a pretty picture of an ideal, idyllic peace and rest that is afforded us by the gospel, especially at the end of the road when we go to glory. And you may say, and I, that one of these promises is is, is fulfilled in our lives. That uh, we have been neglected children of our Heavenly Father. That's all there is to it, right? Woe is me. You know, pity party. But no. But no, that's not the case at all. This Bible has within our reach all of His promises. And especially that one promise that always inevitably comes to our minds when we're going through some fierce and fiery trial in our lives. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God who are called according to His purpose. Am I right? Am I right? That's the one that stands out. At least in my mind, every time I go through any trial in my life, and I trust you too. Why would we be ignorant of His promises? Or only have access in those very, very needy times when things are okay? Hey, you know. Okay. You know, praise God, but I'm okay. Why do we fail to appropriate them? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. Is it because they're no longer precious to us at that point? And maybe, just maybe, we need to have some of those trials back in our lives. Because when you suffer, let me tell you, when you suffer for the faith, when you suffer in the faith and for the faith, there's nothing. More curative than a trial in your faith. And stop saying when you're going through that, woe was me, you know, God doesn't love me, when in fact He loves you very much. And it's for that reason that that's there. And He will help you through. He will hold your hand all the way. There's only one set of footsteps through the sand of life. And that is not yours or mine. So, remember the precious things Peter wrote about, preached about first, and wrote about to those suffering, scattered saints of God. And that's really what we are, an extension of those suffering, scattered saints of the world throughout the world, until He gathers us up in His arms and brings us to our final destination. And one of those precious things again, Jesus Himself, innumerable in Himself, and precious to believers. Jesus' blood, Jesus' faith, like precious faith, the trials of our faith that make our faith more precious than of gold that perishes, and then finally, his promises that are exceeding great and precious in his sight, and more and more in the sight of every true child of God. So let's do that and keep it simple and memorable by remembering. That Jesus is precious, shall we pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for this meditation. For indeed it is that. It is indeed that. And hopefully one that would be helpful and memorable. And especially that would engender and would bring into our lives a greater and deeper appreciation and love for you that exceeds all and that you would indeed be precious and honored and revered and loved in the name of the precious name of Jesus Christ amen